What's going on, everybody? I'm back with episode nine of Red Letter Day today. Big topic to dive into on this episode, so let's get moving. everyone. Good to be talking with you here for episode nine of Red Letter Day. Like always, I love hopping back on the mic to get out and record another episode of the podcast. And honestly, you know, I'm at the point now where I hate not being able to record and get episodes out there for you guys and for myself. It's been pretty crazy um, on my end. Speaking of that, school's been busy. Uh, I've been working a little bit, still going to the gym, reffing a little here and there and whatnot. So that's just how I like it. Hanging out with my friends, doing my thing. Never really going to complain about being busy to anyone. In fact, sometimes you might hear me complain once in a while, once in a while about being busy, but sometimes I'll complain a little too much about not being busy. And it's something that I thoroughly enjoy running around doing my thing. So I'm always going to be doing that. Besides me, we got a lot to talk about stuff that's going on in the world. Lots of big, big news, I would say. Uh, in the world of everything, you know, we just had election day, but big news in the world of sports. And the sad thing is that it doesn't really have much to do with sports themselves. So I want to talk about a lot of things today, but I feel like that there are two big topics, one coming out of the NFL and one coming out of the NHL over the last few weeks, last few months, or even the last few years, based on how long the stories go back. So we're going to dive right into them. So we got to dive right into the NFL. I'm going to jump right into talking about the Las Vegas Raiders head coach, John Gruden. Now, before we get into John, here is a lot of big things with the Raiders. They're in a bit of turmoil right now, not even performance-wise, even though they did lose to my Giants this past weekend, but it's been mostly off-the-field things for the Raiders. The John Gruden situation, the Henry Ruggs situation, which I'm sure many of you have heard about. I believe somebody else just got into a little bit of trouble off the field as well. So the Raiders are not in the best spot off the field right now. But what I want to focus on today is what occurred with John Gruden. And that's the fact that a lot of people have put John into the cancel culture movement. Now for me, on my end, I've been seeing a lot of people get canceled for things that are minimal, canceled for things that I think are stupid or stuff that I think people just blew way out of proportion. And in fact, I don't understand why people take the time to do this to others. But in this situation, in this reality, I think it was the right thing to do for the Raiders and for the NFL to distance themselves for John Gruden and have John Gruden resign. Now, it was the right thing to do for a franchise like that because a franchise like the Raiders, it doesn't need the distraction of its head coach getting in the way of what's going on with the franchise moving forward. So for those of you that haven't heard, uh, during the investigation of the Washington Redskins uh, for their own internal issues, which could be a whole episode in and of itself, um, a few emails came out and were found by the NFL, and it was seen that John Gruden uh, was pretty much collateral damage in the investigations of the Washington Redskins. Investigations like these, there's always little things that are picked up and things that, unfortunately, people go down with the ship, and in this situation, Gruden did, um, it, but entirely his own fault. Um, a few racist emails came out. You know, targeting director of the NFL, the Players Association, uh, multiple other people. Gruden just making some racial remarks and some racial slurs in his emails. So I'm not sitting here. I'm not planning to tell you that making racial slurs 
is okay. It's never okay. Let's get that out there right now. It is never okay to say things like that in person, in email, a text message behind somebody's back. It doesn't matter. It's not something that we can just put in a box here for Gruden. We can't put him in a box, push him under a table and forget about it and let him continue on with his coaching duties. It's tough, you know, though, because we've seen with some people that have been caught saying racist, sexist, misogynist things that they seem like good people. You know, these statements come out of nowhere and it just totally changes your opinion of what you thought was a good person. In the situation with Gruden, I believe that his quarterback, Derek Carr, was able to say it better than anybody else could have, better than I could have said it. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the man, right? Um, you know, and I, uh, you know, I hate, you know, uh, you know, you hate, you hate the sin, you know, like for me, you hate for anybody. No one's perfect. You know, if we just started opening up everybody's private emails and texts, you know, people would start sweating a little bit. You see what I'm saying? Um, hopefully, hopefully not too many, you know, uh, but maybe that's what they should do for all coaches and GMs and owners from now on is open up. You got to open up everything, you know, see what happens. Um, but, uh, you hate, you hate the action. You hate it. Um, you're not supposed to like it, uh, but you love the person and I love the person, you know, I've grew, I've grown to love him, uh, so much, you know, we spent so much time together. We've been through so many battles, you know, we've been through so many things together. He's always had my back. Um, he's always been there for me. Um, and, and I love his family. I love his wife. I love his kids. Um, and I think that's why it's hard, you know, because you don't, he's not around. It's over. It's not, he's not going to be around. And that's the truth right there coming from Derek Carr. You have to hate the action. You do. You can't justify it by any means. You can't say it. It's not okay in any sense of the imagination. But we could sit here and you could still love the person. You know, somebody that says something like that, you can still love the person, hate the action, love the person. You could still like them. That person's not going to change. You know, it's... It's tough for people to just push people out of their lives. And in fact, here, it would have been easy, you know, for Carr to just start off his conversation and say, hey, you know what? I'm not answering questions about him. I want nothing to do with John. I want nothing to do with him. You know, he's not my coach anymore. He's not my friend anymore. He could have said that. He could say, I'm done with him. But no, Carr sits there and he gives you something to think about in that the action is what we are hating, not hating the person. I sit here and I personally hope that the person could be fixed. You know, the action can be fixed. The person can be fixed. But, you know, stuff like that can't be said. Stuff like that can't be said in public. Shouldn't and can't be said at all. In fact, you can't come out and you can't say these things. But the blame does need to be put somewhere, obviously. And obviously for me, I hope it is as obvious as me as to me as it is to you guys that the blame has to be put on the person that said it. The person that said it, it's on them. But you could look a little bit deeper than that. You could look at how the person was raised. That's a whole thing we could get into later on. I don't know John Gruden's age off the top of my head. I don't know John Gruden's parents. I don't know his family. But you have to look at where they grew up, how they grew up. I'm not saying that's the case for Gruden, but for certain people that you could sort of start to sort out why these things are still being said in today's generation. Not even just in our communities, but in the world of sports, in the world of pop culture. You see celebrities from all walks of life say things like this and seem to get away with it every other day. The John Gruden situation is just one where I think we could all learn from. You see a high-profile man like Gruden decide for himself 
you know, probably a mutual decision between him, the NFL and the Raiders, but decided for himself to step away from that team and to resign as head coach, saying to himself that he doesn't want to be a distraction for the hardworking men and women in that locker room. You know, he doesn't want to disrupt the people working hard there and he didn't want to be a huge distraction. So, you know, that's what he's going to do. He's going to step away. He's going to reevaluate himself and he's to see what he can do better. From what I have seen, you know, all of his players seem to love him. You know, in a league where, in the NFL, the NFL is a league where I believe the most recent number, uh, the last time I think that I saw something reported, probably on ESPN or CBS Sports, wherever, but I believe the number is close to 60, maybe even 70% of the players, I believe, in the NFL are black. So it's hard for me to believe in a league where 70% of the players are black that a man like John Gruden is inherently racist. You know, I just can't... Uh, Stuff like that, you just can't say, but I can't sit here and say that John Gruden is a racist man. John Gruden said a racist thing, and that's where I think the difference is in this situation. We all have to judge him for that racist thing now, but we sit here and we ask the question, will he be back in the NFL? Time will tell. Time will most definitely tell. We'll see how he reacts. But for now, he's faded off a little bit, and that's the best thing I think he could have did. You know, he's lying low. He made his apology, and that's pretty much it for him for now. So we're going to sit back and I'm going to say, I'm going to say it on the mic that I'm rooting for John Gruden. I'm rooting that he comes back. I hope he learns from this. I hope he learns that he has to be a leader and leaders can't say things like this and leaders can't act like this. We all learn, you know, and he's no different. And I believe that he will just entirely learn that these are things we just cannot say, things that we all should not believe, things that we all cannot believe. For society to work together. You know, there's no reason to be racist. There's no reason to not like somebody for something like that. There's no reason to make these comments. You might think it's a joke. You might think it's funny to say to your friends, but you can't say these things. These things are not meant to be said, and we all just got to keep it dialed in, do your thing, focus on yourself, and just keep plugging along. Doing it the right way. And doing things the right way is the overarching topic of today's episode. And that overarching topic is something known as the book, a topic that I refer to as the book. And we're going to get into what the book is and what the book represents. But I want to talk about something else first, and it's not another good topic. It's not something enjoyable to talk about, but I feel like it's needed. And it's a discussion of the Chicago Blackhawks and the sexual assault scandal that has been rocking their franchise for the past few weeks. But in reality, it's been rocking their franchise ever since 2010. So this has been big, in fact, huge news coming out of the NHL and coming out of the world of sports. And it's been sending shockwaves across America, throughout the hockey community as a whole, throughout USA hockey, Canadian hockey, even overseas. We have guys coming out criticizing the NHL, criticizing the Blackhawks for how they handled the situation. And in my opinion, I'm sitting here criticizing the NHL all the same, if not more. And I'm criticizing the NHL for how this was handled. A few episodes back, I criticized the MLB for how they handled stuff internally promoting the game. This is different entirely. I'm criticizing the NHL for how they handled a sexual assault case. Some things about the situation were handled well. Others, not at all. Most things, in fact, were not handled well at all. And I'm going to dive right into it. And we're going to find out what truly occurred. So, for those of you unaware, the Chicago Blackhawks in the 2010s were anything a dynasty, I would say. I don't think they were short of that. They were an amazing team. Uh, not doing so well now. Uh, my Blackhawk friends 
would know about that. But I digress in that regard. But the team in the 2010s, okay, they won a few Stanley Cups, something very hard to do. Winning one is hard to do. They had Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Corey Crawford. They had studs. They had stars on the team, and they were winning Stanley Cups left and right. Now, the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup in 2010, and that is where our story, not even our story, this story begins. So the story begins with a man, not a big name, not a big name at all. He's not Patrick Kane. He's not Jonathan Taze. But before this scandal, nobody would even know the man or recognize the man if they ran into him at a 7-Eleven. Nobody would even know. But it starts with a man by the name of Brad Aldrich. And at the time, Brad Aldrich served as the video coach with the Chicago Blackhawks during the 2010 Stanley Cup Finals run. After that season, he left the organization, which we will get into, and he worked elsewhere. But it was in that season where this all started. So for the sake of our story, as well as anything else that could have occurred, Brad Aldrich and a man that was referred to as John Doe, who recently came out, has now identified himself as Kyle Beach, who is an ex-Chicago Blackhawk, who I think now is actually playing hockey overseas. So he's still playing, but the nitty-gritty details, um, they're broadcasted all over the news. So if you want to see everything step-by-step that occurred, definitely go read the story because it's wild and it gives you a perspective of what really happened. But to shorten it up, you know, basically the big, big thing that happened, big wrong thing that happened was that Brad Aldridge sexually assaulted Kyle Beach in May of 2010 during the Blackhawks 2010 Stanley Cup Finals playoff run. From my understanding, from what I read, uh, what happened was that the Blackhawks were in this playoff race and Kyle Beach was called up from the minor leagues as what is known as a black ace. Um, New term to me, but something that I read about when really doing my research on this scandal. But apparently a black ace um, is, is the term used for a player who's called up to practice with the team during their playoff run in case another player gets hurt. This player as a black ace can just step in and play. Um, and this was Kyle Beach's role at the time. And during the playoffs, Brad Aldrich, as the video coach, invited Beach over to his house, just him and Beach, and told Beach that pretty much he himself had the power to get Kyle Beach onto the Blackhawks roster. Now, a little sketch coming out of the mouth of a video coach, a little sketch when you're at the video coach's house by yourself, but gets even more sketch, gets even more disturbing when you read that Aldrich then proceeded to turn on a pornographic video and tells Beach that if he did not act like he enjoyed the current sexual encounter, that Beach would never play in the NHL or would ever walk again. Absolutely absurd. Something that something something that nobody should even fathom doing to another human. But the main thing that we need to know for the sake of this story and for the sake of the repercussions of this story is that Brad Aldrich, the video coach of the Chicago Blackhawks in 2010, sexually assaulted Kyle Beach. That's what you need to remember throughout this whole story. So after this non-consensual sexual encounter, um, it was reported Kyle Beach went to then a skating coach on the Blackhawks to tell him what had happened. Okay, Things progressed and it was told to other members of the Blackhawks front office that this occurred. Now, keep in mind, this was still during the playoffs. This is still in May of 2010. In fact, the Blackhawks were in San Jose during the Western Conference Finals at this time, a few games away from the Stanley Cup Finals. This is where this date, the middle of May of 2010, is where the Blackhawks failed Kyle Beach and they failed all other victims of sexual assault. So during this playoff run for the Blackhawks, this occurs, and the senior staff of the Blackhawks find out And on the day that the Blackhawks eliminated the Sharks from the playoffs and advanced to the Stanley Cup Finals, 
the Blackhawks senior staff got a meeting and only an hour, one hour after this game, had a meeting to discuss this serious allegation. Now, it's tough to keep this whole meeting straight, but I'm going to keep it as straight as I can for you because I believe it's important to discuss who was at this meeting. Now, before I mind you, before I tell you who's at this meeting, know that now no member of this front staff, uh, front office staff is with the Blackhawks today and 2021. They may be with another franchise, which we will get into. So at this meeting, seven people, seven people that were reported. So um, I'm not sure if there were other people, but it's seven main people that I believe it could have only been these seven. So these seven people, it's very important to keep in mind who was in fact at this meeting. So we're starting off. We had Joel Quenville, who was the head coach of the Blackhawks at the time. And as about a month ago, he was the head coach of the Florida Panthers. Okay. You have Stan Bowman, who was the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, now fired. You had Kevin uh, Sheveldayoff. I'm gonna I might butcher that name throughout the podcast. So we're gonna refer to him as just Kevin C. That's what he's gonna be. Kevin C, who was the assistant general manager at the time and is now the current general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. John McDonough was in the meeting, who was the team president. Al McIsaac was the senior, um, I think he was the director of hockey administration. Some some role like that. Um, the other names we had, we had Jay Blunk and Jim Gary. Jim Gary was the mental skills coach and team counselor. Okay, So that was on this report that I'm looking at right now. That was who was at this meeting, who was there, who was discussing this. So what was apparently discussed at the meeting was that there was an incident between Aldrich and Kyle Beach, but nobody at the meeting remembered the exact nature of what occurred between the two. And from the report, I'm going to read this word for word because I think it's important to not skew this in any way. This needs to be heard from what the report stated. And it states that Stan Bowman, the general manager at the time, recalled that during the meeting, McDonough and Quenville made comments about the challenge of getting to the Stanley Cup Finals and the desire to focus on the team and the playoffs. Several years later, McIsaac, in discussing the situation between Aldritz and John Doe, who we know as Kyle Beach, with another Blackhawks employee, stated that McDonough did not want any negative publicity during the Stanley Cup final run. Now, let that soak in for a second. Me, myself, as I'm sure a lot of people listening are, if you're not, no big deal, but I'm sure a lot of my friends, family who do listen, big sports fans, we, we love sports. Me and them, if I could win a Stanley Cup myself, I'd probably do anything in the world for it, okay? But in this situation, the fact that these individuals selfishly decided to put the Stanley Cup finals, put a trophy, put a sport in front of a sexual assault case is absolutely ridiculous, and I still do not understand how anybody in this meeting failed to say that this is wrong, we need to report this, and just for that fact... John Tortorella. People love John Tortorella. People hate John Tortorella. This man has nothing to do with this case at all. Nothing to do with the report. Nothing to do with the sexual assault. Um, he was a former coach. He worked with the Rangers. He worked with the Boo Jackets. He worked with Team USA. He's currently on ESPN um, doing stuff with the NHL. And he's going to have a head coaching job again. But he said something. And I don't care if you love him. I don't care if you hate him. But what John Tortorella said was the greatest thing you could have said to the situation. And it was this. That's what's crazy to me is it's it's multiple people. This wasn't a one-man decision. It's multiple people. I, I just don't get why one guy couldn't just stand up and say, you know what? No, this is wrong. 
it, it, to me, hockey and, and things that go on in the locker room, all the situations you go through, sure, it happens a lot during the year. This is, this is totally different. This is, this is sexual assault, which is far, it casts a shadow over the game of hockey. And that's what, that's what kind of is crazy to me, that one man couldn't stand up and say, you know what, no way. We have to get this strained out right now. Walk down the hallway and walk him out the door. How difficult? Right away. Would that, how difficult would that have been? Right away. And, and, and push him out the door. Torts also sits there and asks the question that if this was your 20-year-old kid, how would you react to the situation? And that's the question that I wish was posed to the seven members that were in that room on that day. So this meeting happens. Nothing gets on. Uh, nothing gets done. Um, about two weeks later, the Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup. Aldridge then sexually assaults another person, and in turn, during the Stanley Cup celebration, Aldridge is fired, but he's allowed to come back and he's allowed to have his day with the Stanley Cup. He's given a championship ring. He attends the banner ceremony. He's allowed to do all of these things. So the seven people in that room agreed that Aldridge had to leave the organization, but he could come celebrate with the team. And after working with the Blackhawks, that wasn't it for this man. He then went on to somehow be able to work for USA Hockey, work for the University of Notre Dame, Miami University, and another high school. So in 2013, at this high school, he was convicted of fourth-degree criminal sexual conduct involving a student, and he was sentenced to nine months in jail with five years of probation. Not surprising, right? Would you would you say that's surprising for a man like that? But it's something that shouldn't have happened. Because I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to tell you that should not have happened at all. How do you let that happen? How does an organization like the Chicago Blackhawks, how does an organization like the NHL let somebody who sexually assaulted one of their own players go work at colleges and go work at a high school and sexually assault a student there? And you know what's worse? Something that I didn't mention before this, because this is a whole lawsuit with the NHL. Kyle Beach is suing the NHL and the high school student who has decided to remain a John Doe, him or herself is suing the NHL. Because with the Blackhawks, you know, they gave Brad Aldrich a positive letter of recommendation for him to work at local schools. Just think about that. The Chicago Blackhawks, after knowing all this information, now I don't know who wrote the letter, who gave the letter. It's inconceivable and it's outright ridiculous once again that he has this letter. I'm not privy to who provided the letter, like I said, but I sit here and I place the blame on the seven members in that meeting. Every single one of them, every single one of them. We're going to get into one of those members, in fact, three of those members a little bit more, because I believe that there's one of them who you could question, possibly didn't have much to do with what was going on, but overall, all seven members should be at blame here. So to recap, just so we're all on the same page, the Blackhawks are in the playoffs in 2010, Brad Aldrich sexually assaults Kyle Beach, nobody does anything in the meeting that occurred days later, the Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup. Brad Aldrich goes on to sexually assault somebody else, gets his day of celebration with the Chicago Blackhawks. He gets a positive letter of recommendation to go work elsewhere and sexually assaults a student at that school. That's 2010. Fast forward to now, 2021. These allegations become public and it's a whole firestorm for the Chicago Blackhawks in the NHL. We can focus on a lot of things, but I want to focus on three people. I want to focus on Stan Bowman, Joe Quenville, and Kevin Sheveldayoff, okay? Number one, Stan Bowman. Once again, general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks at the time. And as of last month, the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, in fact, was going to be the general manager of this year's 2022 uh, U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. Well, guess what? 
Not anymore. The man resigned from both. Well, quote unquote, the man resigned from both. Okay. I'm going to review his statement. I'm going to tell you right now. I believe that it is absolutely full of shit. Okay. So he released a little bit of a statement. I'm going to read it to you um, just for the fact of having it fully right. So what he said, this is coming straight from Stan Bowman's Twitter. I don't know wherever this was posted, but 11 years ago, while serving in my first year as general manager, I was made aware of potential inappropriate behavior by a then video coach involving a player. I promptly reported the matter to the then president and CEO who committed to handling the matter. I've learned this year that the inappropriate behavior involved a serious allegation of sexual assault. I relied on the direction of my superior that he would take appropriate action. Looking back, now knowing that he did not handle the matter properly, I regret assuming he would do so. So 11 years go by and Stan Bowman just learned this year that the meeting had to do with a sexual assault of a man, a man in his organization. Now that in the meeting, I don't know what was said. Who said what? Who said they would handle it? Who didn't say they would handle it? But for Stan Bowman, right, when you're apologizing, there is no reason to put the blame on somebody else. He comes in here. He's blaming the then president and CEO, who I'm assuming from the information that I read is John McDonough. There's no reason to blame him. Stan, you're apologizing. Apologize. Okay, your apology is not going to make Kyle Beach feel any better. Your apology is not going to make the high school kid feel any better. But just apologize. Nobody wants to hear that it was your first year as general manager. Nobody wants to hear that the president told you he would handle it. You're an adult, man. Apologize. That's all you need to do there. Apologize and resign. And you only got one thing right. And that was to resign. Number two, Joe Quenville. Quenville, along with Shovel Dayoff, denied knowing anything about this as of, I believe, this summer. They said, no, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it. Whatever. So they do nothing about it until now. Then all of a sudden it goes public and these men know about it. I can't stand people that lie and I cannot stand people that lie about a sexual assault case. Once again, it's inconceivable and ridiculous. So overall, Joel Quenville meets with the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman, and Joel Quenville is fired from his current job as the head coach of the Florida Panthers. In my opinion, good riddance. I agree with the decision by the NHL. So here, Gary Bettman, um, I like what he did. I like, I agree with how you sat down with Joel. You discussed what happened, but in the end, you sat there and you said, listen, there's no conceivable way for me to allow you to continue being a head coach in my league. You got to step away. In fact, I'll applaud Gary Bettman. For that, do I applaud Gary for how he handled the rest of what went on? No, but I applaud him for how he handled this um, Joel Quenville's job status. And number three, perhaps somebody, um, the biggest question mark of who was in that meeting was Kevin Sheveldayoff. So at the time, the assistant general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks and now currently the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. So you can see me questioning. This one's a little bit tough for me to assign blame because I sit here and I do criticize all seven members who are in that meeting. But here, Sheveldayoff is the assistant general manager, okay? Now, earlier in the summer, he denied knowing anything about it, which as we could tell from now, what I believe is a lie, okay? He obviously knew what was going on. Kevin had his meeting with Commissioner Gary Bettman a few days after Quenville did, and I assumed, just like many people assumed, that he was going to have the same fate and be forced to resign and no longer have a job within the NHL. Well, in fact, Shovel Dayoff 
did not have to resign and still has his job with the Winnipeg Jets and is still going to be serving as general manager of the Winnipeg Jets for the foreseeable future. Now, here is what Gary Bettman said. Once again, I'll read this for you just so you get the scope of the full statement. Kevin Sheveldayoff was not a member of the Blackhawks senior leadership team in 2010, and I cannot therefore assign to him responsibility for the club's actions or inactions. He provided a full count of his degree of involvement in the matter, which was limited exclusively to his attendance at a single meeting, and I found him to be extremely forthcoming in our discussion. Once again, that's coming from the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman. So this means he's not fired. He's still currently a general manager. Great. Now, my thing is here, okay, I agree with this that as an assistant general manager at the time, there's not much that he can do. Okay, it's possible that he is probably the least, the smallest voice, the least important person in that room based on how the organization was structured. So for someone like Sheveldayoff as an assistant general manager to step up and say, you know what, we need to say something and come out and say something. The other members of that room could easily say, Kevin, there's the door. You know, don't let it hit you on the way out. We could replace you tomorrow. So I understand the NHL statement saying that. He's the assistant general manager in that room, and it's tough for him to come out and say something. But in the end, you know, it's tough for anybody. It's not tough in the situation. It's not tough to come out and say something. It should be extremely easy for one of those members in that meeting to come out, come forward, and say, this is wrong. We need to fix this now. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of a Stanley Cup final run. It doesn't matter if it's three days before the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter if it's before Game 7 of the World Series, Game 7 of the NBA Finals, overseas soccer, the Olympics. It doesn't matter. Stuff like this, a sexual assault, stuff on this magnitude needs to be reported, and this stuff needs to be handled immediately. So, Going back, just taking a step back and looking at this story from the outside, it's a tough story to tell and it's a tough story to explain. It's a tough story to read about. It's tough all the way around. But what's the toughest is for the people that were affected by this story. Kyle Beach and the John Doe that was the high school student. You know, it's 2011, 11 years later, and these these two individuals are going to be dealing with this for not only these 11 years, but for the rest of their lives. And how Gary Bettman, Stan Bowman, Joel Quenville, Shovel Dayoff, McDonough, how everybody handled, the Blackhawks in general, handled this situation was overall poor. And we need to make sure that something like this does not happen again in the NHL, um, in minor sports, in youth sports especially. That's why youth sports now have safe sport conduct. They have all these things to avoid situations like this. And I commend USA Hockey for doing something like that. Canadian Hockey, I'm sure, does the same thing. And I'm sure this is happening overseas as well. At least I hope it is. That's something that we should all look into into our youth sports. But overall, what we as society need to do to fix this is we need to fix the issues of racism, of sexual assault, of sexism. Stuff like this cannot be in our society. It's 2021. Okay, we all need to grow up. We all need men to act like men. We all need women to act like women. Okay, we need both of these men, women, whoever. We need everyone to just realize you got to do the right thing. You know, you got to realize what is right and what is wrong. And apparently a lot of people don't. Apparently a lot of people don't know the difference between right and wrong. And that's what I challenge people today. You know, start by knowing right and wrong by yourself, for you. Know that something is right, 
know that something is wrong in your daily life. And when you feel like you have a good grasp on this, try and help somebody else. Try and pull somebody aside and say, hey, listen, you need to do a little bit better with this. All right, you can't be doing that. And when we all can do that, I believe that can stop situations like this from occurring. And it can keep us all safe out of the comfort of our own homes, which we all should be no matter the situation. So get out there. Do just know right and wrong. There's nothing more I can really say than that. Know right and wrong, and I guarantee we can stop or at least minimize things like this from occurring. So that's all I have today for episode nine of Red Letter Day. You know, like I said earlier, two topics that I wish we didn't have to discuss, but I felt like they were important uh, to talk about just so people can see. People could start to little, you know, see that inaction of the difference between right and wrong. So something that I hope we don't have to discuss again, but something that was very important to discuss now. Um, a little bit of podcast news, you know, we've been seeing that it's been a little podcast are coming out a little bit more sparingly, but Trust me, winter break's coming, and I got a lot of nice stuff planned for Red Letter Day. We got a nice interviews coming, some stuff planned, some new um, side episodes that are going to be coming. We got some debates planned, so lots of things coming in the way of Red Letter Day. Be sure to tell your friends, tell your family, give it a listen. Um, I'm sure they'll enjoy it. You know, if they don't, just have them tell me. I'll, I'll have to live with that, but tell everybody, you know, start to listen, check out, so... For more thought-provoking and some fun conversation along the way, be sure to subscribe to Red Letter Day on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you do listen to your podcast. Uh, Be sure to check out at Red Letter Day Podcast on Instagram for some more content during the week. So for now, those are my takes. Love them or hate them, I'm going to keep making them. Stay safe, and I'll see you on the flip side. Also, a little side note uh, for all the listeners. If anyone's looking for some rent-free housing, I'm currently in some myself, so uh, I might know just a spot for you.